Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. All right, so this is what they don't teach us about money in PT school, and this is the uh, introductory video that many of you requested. So in this, I'm going to go over uh, the wealth formula for what you should be worth, and I'm also going to share with you uh, the happiness secret as it's uh, been revealed to me, at least through reading. Also, uh, the money problem and uh, how that plagues us. And I, I think, at least for me, the large motivating factor of when I was 18 years old was looking around and seeing a lot of people struggling with uh, the money problem and the majority of people never solving that. So we're going to talk about that. Um, also, we're going to talk about how worries for uh, most people, whether you're a high income earner or a low income earner, with regards to finances, are about the same, uh, and we we tend to think about it in the same way. Also, going to talk about financial goals and financial goal setting. Uh, we're going to uh, discern and define what assets and liabilities are, and then we're going to discuss uh, PAWs and UAWs, and I'll uh, I'll show you exactly what uh, each one of those is and how they think a little bit differently. And then I'm going to uh, outline the the entire course, uh, what they don't teach us about money in PT school. The three uh, biggest influences, at least uh, for me, with regards to money. And the first one is a book called The Millionaire Next Door that really uh, opened up my eyes about their uh, people think about money in different ways and behave differently according to money. And um, Increase Your Financial IQ, which I believe is a, the best Robert Kiyosaki book that I've read. He also wrote uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Cash Flow Quadrant, amongst a few others. I think he has uh, about 30 different books in his entire uh, Rich Dad series. Uh, Increase Your Financial IQ, at least in my mind, is by far the best. It's the one that helped me out most. And also uh, third, the classic, The Richest Man in Babylon. So why study money? Uh, in Earl Nightingale's uh, The Strangest Secret, which was recorded in 1956, uh, he talked about the 95% versus the 5%. And basically, it's uh, we all struggle with uh, money, basically, unless you're you know, born with a silver spoon in your mouth and you're a trust fund baby. And if that's you, that's fine. Uh, but for the rest of us, the 95% of people struggle with the money problem until the day they die, and 5% figure it out. And The Millionaire Next Door, which was published 40 years after The Strangest Secret, um, and which is now about 20 years ago, uh, in 1996, they shared those same exact figures. So in 40 years, we learned very little about money. And if, if anything, in the last 20 years, I, I think we still have a very low financial IQ um, as a society. And it's, you know, it's not really our fault when we go to PT school, if you're like I was. Um, you know, I came from a blue collar slash white collar family. I went to... Uh, college and I was basically trained to be an employee and I was trained to uh, earn income, save some money in a 401k or a simple IRA and that one day I would be able to retire because of my mutual funds or you know whatever uh, conservative track they shared with me at the time. And um, I, I just, from looking at it, I didn't see that working for a lot of people, and I wanted to study what the 5% did, and that's what I'm sharing with you here. So the other thing about money is uh, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk about it. If I look back at uh, some of the biggest 
most volatile disagreements in uh, my personal life and family life have probably revolved around money. And, you know, it's, uh, it's one of the leading causes for divorce. I believe it, uh, if you trace it back far enough, it's ultimately the cause of most wars. Um, it causes uh, depression, suicide, just about anything that you can think of. And a lot of people avoid talking about it. And uh, that's not me. So I, I'm, I'm going to be transparent here. I'm going to reveal a lot. Um, and I've been on both sides. I've you know, struggled with the money problem for a long time and then uh, very intently studied it for the last 20 years. And again, that's what I want to share with you here. So the money problem is 5% of people uh, never really solve the money problem. So formula for your net worth, how to figure this out. Are you wealthy? So uh, this is straight out of uh, The Millionaire Next Door. Multiply your age times your realized pre-tax annual household income from all sources minus inheritance. So if you receive some sort of inheritance that is not part of your um, realized pre-tax annual household income, and divide that number by 10. So this less any inherited wealth is what your net worth should be. And by the way, these were uh, two researchers who studied wealth and um, in the millionaire, millionaire Next Door, and this was the formula that they shared in their book. So for example, let's say you're a 40-year-old private practice owner who averages annual uh, household income at $100,000. So 40, which is your age times $100,000 divided by 10 is an expected net worth of $400,000. And the researchers, uh, they went farther on to um, describe three different types of accumulators of wealth. So uh, understanding that expected net worth. So a UAW is an under accumulator of wealth, and it's the bottom 25% of wealth accumulation. And uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of people fall into this category that uh, they seemingly earn a very high income, make you know hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, even seven figures a year, but they don't understand how to manage money. They have poor thoughts on money. Uh, as my mentors would say, at least two of them, they don't respect money. And what happens is they wake up one day and they have very little wealth accumulated. So that's an under accumulator of wealth. An AAW is an average accumulator of wealth, so that would be the, the middle 50, uh, 50th percentile. And then a PAW is a prodigious accumulator of wealth, and that's the top 25% of wealth accumulation for age and income. So a PAW should be worth twice the level of the wealth expected. So if we take a look back at our 40-year-old uh, private practice owner whose uh, household income is $100,000 a year, then his expected net worth, if he's a PAW, would be $800,000. So uh, the happiness factor, again, this is a little bit controversial, and I have my own opinions on it, but uh, there's a quote uh, that I read, which is in The Millionaire Next Door, and it's in their studies, financially independent people are happier, and this is based on a, an outcome survey, so are happier than those in their same income age cohort who are not financially secure. And a couple of other uh, miscellaneous studies that I read, one was uh, if you look at the happiness of a lotto winner versus a uh, somebody who just lost a limb by amputation, and you look at them one year later, um, there's really no difference in their levels of happiness. And my own personal viewpoint is that money is a magnifier. 
And I've seen people who are miserable when they're broke. And then when they earn money and they have more wealth, uh, they're absolutely miserable. Uh, they're even more miserable at that time. And, you know, the same exact thing if they're uh, uh, highly um, antagonistic, the money only magnifies that. If they're really happy uh, when they're poor, they're um, even more thankful and joyous and can uh, more appreciative of what money can buy when they do have money. So um, another study is there's a little difference in happiness between uh, an, an income level of $80,000 a year or $8 million a year. So uh, in this no holds barred look at money, uh, I, I want you to look at all angles. The, in the happiness factor, as it was revealed in The Millionaire Next Door, I think there's a missing part of this, which is um, people who are not financially secure really are struggling with the money problem. And we've all been there. You know, I, as a new business owner, I remember being like on the eve of a payroll and having $13,000 in my account and having an $18,000 payroll. That is a real problem. And I was not financially secure. Um, early on at all. I, you know, I can remember uh, when I was an employee running out and one of the biggest mistakes I made was going out and buying like $3,500 in furniture because I didn't want to live um, on cardboard or use furniture in the beginning. And, you know, my, uh, my now wife and I fell into the trap of buying, uh, you know, no interest for a year furniture. And then, realizing that in a week we have $3,500 due and I have about $200 in my savings account. Like, you know, just that gun wrenching pressure of not being financially secure. And really, I think, uh, you know, it's the money problem that robs people of a lot of happiness. And what is the money problem? It's living paycheck to paycheck. So it's, hey, I have to wait until I get paid on Friday to be able to do this. It's not being able to afford a vacation. And with many of the private practice owners that I talk to, it's, uh, not being able to afford a vacation for years, or it's the uh, uh, at least in my area the the common saying is borrowing from Peter to pay Paul, which is where you're, uh, you know, we just simply shift money around, and we have a five thousand dollar debt over here, but in order to pay that off, we just borrow five thousand dollars from another credit line or something like that. We're not really getting out of debt, and uh, I see and know, and I've done it myself, um, that with student debt or even consumer debt, like the example I gave you with furniture, it's not being able to do what you want to do because of money limitations. And you, know, you can think about it in terms of uh, vacations or vehicles or um, you know, buying the safest vehicle for your family and not really worried about how much the payments are. That's part of the money problem um, that a lot of us struggle with. It's also a, a matter of what you can afford with your own child's education. It's a matter of uh, having to work. And, um, you know, especially at times in our lives when we feel like we should um, be able to step back a little. Um, I know way too many practice owners who have been at it for 10 or more years, but they can't afford to step back from their private practice even for a week because they lose too much money. Um, and worst case scenario is... Um, I heard this recently. It was a couple in California who uh, was gauging whether or not they could afford to have kids um, because kids are expensive. And I completely agree with that, but <laughs> they are, they're very expensive having five of my own, but it's the, the 
the life experience that happens with children, like I, I'm glad that that was never uh, part of the money issue, at, at least for us, where um, we could have the the amount of kids that we wanted to have without finances being a factor. But I know that's the reality for a lot of us. And I, um, I also can be empathetic towards that because three days after I opened my private practice, my oldest son was born. And it's, I remember that stress of looking and we only had 3000 or uh, $6,000 to live on, uh, for two months. And, you know, if I didn't make this business work, uh, we were going to have lots of trouble. So, um, it, the money problem is also missing out on experiences with the family. So, you know, uh, many of us, we want to do things with our um, aging parents and, you know, we, we have a, a bucket list of things that we want to do there. And uh, 95%, at least the statistics say, are not able to do that because of uh, not solving the money problem. So it's not having enough uh, left over to save or invest for the future. And uh, frequently it's needing credit to live, um, you know, to make a mortgage payment or to, um, to buy groceries or to buy gas or things along those lines. And if we look at um, under accumulators of wealth and prodigious uh, accumulators of wealth, they have very similar goals. And uh, most of us would, would agree with these and especially these four. It's uh, to become wealthy by the time uh, we retire. Uh, to increase our wealth, to become uh, wealthy through capital appreciation, and to build our capital um, while conserving the value of our assets. So what PAWs do um, that UAWs do not is uh, they spend time planning their financial future. They have time to handle their investments properly, and they place management of their assets uh, before other activities. And what under accumulator, under accumulators of wealth think is uh, the following: I can't devote enough time to my investment decisions. I'm just too busy to spend much time with my own financial affairs. It's hopeless. Uh, I never have the time needed to make it pay off. We never have made so much, but the more we earn, the less we seem to accumulate. And I'm going to assume that if you're getting this video, that you're likely in the healthcare system and most likely a healthcare professional and you know healthcare professionals in general were were riddled with um high income earners earners those that are making significantly over a hundred thousand dollars a year or maybe even half a million a year but yet um we we tend to accumulate uh very little with regards to wealth and uh you know there's no more case that jumps out to me than uh there's a local attorney uh, here in central Pennsylvania, a um, high profile uh, personal injury attorney who had likely the, the largest practice in our area for years. And he is now, he and his wife are now suing the banks um, or one financial institution in particular. And this made news. So I, I don't think I can get in trouble for repeating this story, but um, he is now suing a lender whom he borrowed millions of dollars from because they did not, they weren't willing to refinance his debt. And basically he's in over his head. Uh, he's lived a very high profile lifestyle for years and he's earned millions upon millions of dollars. And 
basically doesn't have anything to show for it. So that's what we're talking about here. And under accumulators of wealth may make even seven figures a year. But uh, when it comes down to it, they have very low levels of wealth that cannot support their uh, lifestyle long term. So um, we've never made so much, but the more we earn, the less we seem to accumulate and our careers take up all our time. And uh, the final one here is I don't have 20 hours a week to fool with investing my money. And I can tell you just from experience, um, I don't spend 20 year, 20 hours a year on um, finances, but uh, it, it, it's all worked out. So UAWs versus uh, PAWs, they have different thinking. They have different speaking. They, they talk about money differently and their investments of time, money, and their resources, and they get very different results. And I, I want to give you uh, just something really valuable that I learned uh, early on. And by the way, I've been both. I've been uh, by far an under accumulator of wealth um, early in my career, uh, specifically as an employee. And um, I, by our definition here, I'm at least now a PAW per the pure definition for right now, just realized I, I've been on <laughs> uh, both ends. And it, it's a lot more fun um, and easier to sleep at night being a PAW than it is a UAW. So a uh, couple things you should understand are, uh, number one tool is an income expense pro forma. And second tool is an assets liability um, balance sheet. And if you look over to the left, that picture, um, you have an income expense pro forma. And that very simply is income minus your expenses. If you're going to continue in business, your income must be greater than your expenses. Um, the, and that specific example is showing an employee example. And it looks like it is in Europe because they spell paycheck very funny. But um, so income is money earned. And there are four ways you can do that. And I show a little picture there at the bottom. You can be an employee, which is where you have a job. You can be self-employed, which is you own a job, which is your job. And then the other side of the uh, cash flow quadrant there is you can earn money as a business owner, which is you own a system and people work for you, uh, such as a private practice owner who employs uh, more than two or three people. Or you can be a, an investor, which is where money works for you. And that's the little uh, Warren Buffett bobblehead picture there. Um, so your expense is money flowing out. Now, uh, the key thing here is, especially when we're talking about long-term wealth, is uh, the difference between assets and liabilities. So assets are those, thing which, uh, those things which are owned and they increase income. So it puts assets put more money back into your pocket on a, a routine basis, uh, basis, a monthly basis. A liability is things that are owned which increase expenses. And uh, so the, the, the way that uh, early on, the thing that the controversial thing that Robert Kiyosaki said, and I believe he's right in his assessment that upset a lot of people in middle class America and a lot of banks, he said, well, by this definition, a, a home is a liability and it, it's, it's not an asset. But most people in middle class America believe that an asset or their home is their number one asset. And he said, well, let's look at the definition. And when you use these definitions, you know, you can really quickly see that, you know, if you buy a house, 
you have, uh, it's a liability because it increases your expenses. You have to pay taxes, mortgage. Um, you have to pay uh, interest on that mortgage, uh, insurance. You have maintenance on the home itself and cost of lawn care and um, you know home care, gardening, anything else that may come with that. Uh, if you're in a homeowners association, you have that as an expense. Um, so it increases your expenses. And, you know, the odd thing is, is that in that book, uh, The Millionaire Next Door, people who are PAWs, they think about their home differently than the underaccumulators of wealth. So regardless, the game becomes, if you're really looking to solve the money problem, it's minimize liabilities and maximize assets. And when we're talking about uh, business skill and lifetime wisdom and areas for you to increase your your knowledge, at least what I've found and what I've learned from uh, at my three mentors and anybody else who has solved the money problem is that the focus is on building the skill set, which increases assets. And I'll just give you a really quick little asset that I built a few years ago and how I did that. Um, and right now it's worth about $1,000 a month to me. But I um, back in 2010, I attended a it was a free workshop, three-hour workshop with Jeffrey Gittimer. I bought a whole host of books that he had and DVDs. I think it was $500 worth and stuff. And I went home. I read everything. Uh, just that's kind of uh, how I am, at least habitually. I, I devoured the material, went through it. And he talked about, you know, you can easily post videos on YouTube. And YouTube was kind of uh, gaining a lot of momentum at the time. So I went out to Costco, bought a $140 flip camera, which is now obsolete. And um, I had a little process for filming a video every week. And I would just spend an hour each Friday. And the reason that I was doing it is just to share videos and answer questions for patients that I was seeing because I felt like I was answering the same questions over and over and over. Well, without a whole lot of work, uh, just an hour a week, and I, I did that hardcore for a year. So maybe 50 hours of total time plus my study time, which might have been another 10 hours, so 60 hours. Um, in the last four years, I've made $1,000 a week because many of the videos went viral because Google sells Google ads on my YouTube channel. And it's very quick and easy. They just um, literally, uh, same day every month, they deposit anywhere from $890, I think is the lowest I've had in the last couple of years, up to $1,500 of Google ad money just goes um, right into my income. And it, that's not something that I have to continue to do anything with. It just operates. Uh, the, I had an incident happen to me when I was about 18 years old. Um, I was leaving for college and I was uh, over at a friend's house, a high school friend's house. And uh, so we were going to college in the next day or two. And, uh, you know, it was a really big deal for me and my family that I went to college. Um, and uh, a lot of stress, a lot of where's the money going to come from for this to happen. I think at one point, uh, my father even wanted me to go to uh, in the military, like uh, he had done in the Marine Corps, or my grandfather had done in the Navy. And, uh, you know, that I was going to be able to go to college that way. Well, luckily, I, I got a, a scholarship for physical therapy school. Um, but I, I knew the stress that that had on my family and I'm you know eternally grateful that uh, they stretched and they they gave me the experience that they gave me and the education that they did 
and it has paid off well. Um, but the story was, I'm at my friend's house, we're sitting at the kitchen table, and in the middle of her kitchen table was a check for $25,500 made out to the university that she was going to. And I just remember the impression that had on me, like, wow, like, we really had to stretch as a family for me to go with an academic scholarship, with loans. Um, I can't believe that somebody has enough money that they can write a check for $25,500 to cover a year of tuition. That is crazy. And uh, it was just completely out of my my realm. I, it really stretched my perspective. I just did not believe that was possible. It was a wow moment for me. And then recently, I was reminded of that story. Uh, there's a Jeff Walker video. I was watching it, and he talked about when his children were uh, two or three years old, and um, he was standing around with a bunch of parents, and they were asking him, you know, what's your plan for your children? How are you going to pay for college? And he said, well, I have this business plan and I have a, uh, this huge list and, um, you know, I'm, I'm putting all my, my eggs into this one basket. And, you know, the other parents kind of looked at him and kind of funny. And, uh, you know, Jeff went through like that knee jerk reaction, maybe not real confident that he was doing the right thing for his family. Um, but it reminded me of that story of the $25,500 check. And then, Oddly enough, uh, like subconsciously, I kind of realized, well, I, in fact, had done that. So I had set out what I meant to do because this year, my wife and I were able to maximize our contribution, our legal contribution to the 529 plans for our children. And the cool thing is we have five kids. So uh, maximum contribution is $28,000 a year. And we were able to write one check for $140,000, which is 28,000 times five. Uh, to cover the 529 contribution for our children for this year. And by the way, that's all self-generated. I didn't inherit it or anything like that. Um, but, you know, one of my favorite recordings of all time is Earl Nightingale's uh, The Strangest Secret. It was from the 1950s. You can YouTube or Google it and listen to it, and it's fantastic. But uh, in that, he talks about, like, being an overnight success 20 years in the making that like we perceive where somebody's at today, and you may be hearing this. And by the way, I, I'm sharing the story because I don't want you to be in awe of what I did. I'm sharing the story because I want to give you the pillars of how I did what I did so you can go out and do the same thing. That's the goal here. Um, but anyhow, you know, it's that for me to do that, it's 20 years in the making. And in the recording, The Strangest Secret, Earl says, Success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. It's accomplishing that which is set out to do. So when I was 18 years old, the only thing that I wanted to do at the time was realize um, and find out about what is this other viewpoint that people can have that much money that they can write a $25,000 check for a full year of college tuition. That was just, again, so unreal to me. And a couple things that I've realized along the way, and especially as I advance here in my professional and business life, uh, most people struggle with solving the money problem their entire lives. And uh, in fact, in the recording, The Strangest Secret, Earl says 95% of people die having never solved the money problem. And those, um, those numbers are eerily similar today, uh, within 1% or so. In fact, most of us never even learn the rules of money. I have, you know, uh, great friends who, you know, we've, we went to kindergarten together. We still hang out. 
And um, the, the one thing that I see is they ignore the rules of money. And it wouldn't be such a big deal, but like many times, the money problem inhibits uh, you know the, the relationship, and it's tough to it's tough to tell your best friend, hey, here's what you're doing wrong with money. But um, it's frustrating to watch uh, somebody who's trying to solve the money problem, and they've never even learned the rule of the game. And you know, how can we win any game if we don't know the rule? What's your strategy for boosting your profit margins? In the current industry landscape, margins are slim due to declining reimbursements and the rising cost of doing business. Breakthrough has just released a new course, Profitability Under Pressure. This 13-week masterclass focuses on five key areas in your practice that can help you increase your profits. We'll guide you through creating a financial plan, which is a step overlooked by many other practices. You'll also learn how to renegotiate insurance contracts, evaluate whether cutting ties with lower payers is beneficial, and how to add cash pay services to improve your lifetime patient value. By the end of this course, you'll have improved control over your profit margins and a clear roadmap for future growth. This program is exclusively for private practice owners. You must apply to be accepted. No hops or pops practices. Click the link below to get started. Remember to visit GetBreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.